which is why when people tell you Martin Luther started was the first person to put the Bible in the vernacular, they're lying to you. Don't believe them. Don't trust them. Uh, <laughs> Athelstan did it. Athelstan did it. Um, Hi, this is Lena. And I'm Forrest. And you're listening to the Dan Brown Code. Yeah, where we discuss the life and works of renowned author Dan Brown. Only partially his life, mostly the works. Okay, so how about a quick recap of what happens this time around in these chapters? Sure, so where we, when we last left our hero, he was uh, about to receive a phone call in the Camerlengo's office uh, from a mysterious, heavily accented man. Um, so the Hassassin calls the Pope. He tells them the mad plan. Four of the cardinals have gone missing and they're going to be murdered at four different church locations. Vittoria's, you know, doing Vittoria stuff, just being very emotionally available at all times. Um, They go down to the secret Vatican archives, mm -hmm. find a work of Galileo, then sets them on the path to figure out this mystery. Yeah, that takes a very long time. (laughs) And then uh, they go to the Pantheon, which is where the first clue is. Yep. Yep, that's basically everything that happens. Oh, we get introduced to a BBC reporter, like a small-time BBC reporter. With really an incredible name that we'll get to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we start off in the Camerlango's office, and there's been a phone call the Vatican switchboard operators put through because it mentions antimatter and some kind of threat to the conclave that's supposed to be beginning. Oh, my first, my first gripe. And it, it yep. really did open with a gripe for me because we immediately open with like, a very Middle Eastern man is on the phone. Yeah, he but is. Robert's trying to place the accent and says Middle Eastern, perhaps. Yeah, and then it goes on to say the voice announced in an alien cadence, which <laughs> is very othering. <laughs> but I mean, I, I get he's a villain. I get it. I get it. But like, alien cadence. Alien cadence. The Middle Eastern accent gave me a bit of pause, just on the grounds that that's a pretty large swath of territory you're covering. Yeah, that's not just one accent. But I think I sort of get what he's saying. I don't trust Dan Brown to be, like, racially sensitive at this point. No. So I'm just going to let it go. Um, when I was doing research for this week, I think I realized that the difference between angels and demons in the Da Vinci Code is that angels and demons is a lot more willing to be outright fiction. Mm-hmm. And so I think probably some of the... Um, making fun of Dan Brown's research inaccuracies has been unearned and that he's just intentionally making things up. Oh, that's what you think? Cause I, I think, I think the statement of fact in the beginning of this book is deliberately less broad than it has been in others. The know, author's note. I know the Da Vinci code one is like, like two pages long or something. It's like, yeah, like very thorough. And this one is just references to all works of art, tombs, tunnels, and architecture in Rome are entirely factual as are their exact locations. And then simply the fact that the Brotherhood of the Illuminati is also factual, (laughs) Um, which I bring up to say that he says at some point, uh, Churchill, as in Winston Churchill, had once told reporters that if English spies had infiltrated the Nazis to the degree that the Illuminati had infiltrated English Parliament, the war would have been over in a month, which... uh, I can't find anything about him saying that. Okay. I had a couple of other things that I looked up, but... That were also false, but like, I, I trusted you to. Yeah, find so that I, 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 I think that that author's note, deliberately not saying historical quotes and references are 
true Mm -hmm. because he just makes up a lot of bullshit. Basically, the assassin is saying that he and the Illuminati have infiltrated into the highest levels of authority in the Vatican, and that's how they were able to kidnap the Preferiti and place the antimatter bomb. Um, There's a lot more bullshit about La Purga, Mm -hmm. which we've established previously did not happen. Now, this chapter contains my favorite, uh, my second favorite instance of the Hassassin just being over the top extra. What you got? <laughs> um, he's, the Cumberland goes talking to, talking to the Hassassin and the Hassassin says, silenzio, and then continues in English. And for a minute, I was like, why would the Hassassin go out of his way to silence the Cumberlingo in Italian? You know, that's not his language. Yeah. But then I remembered that he's really extra and is definitely doing it for the drama. It's which absolutely true. Which I appreciate. Well, and it's effective, too. Um, when the Hassassin is laying out his plans to murder these cardinals in public, um, Langdon's trying to clarify that. And the Hassassin says, very good, although it depends what you consider a public place. I realize not many people go to church anymore. And that causes Langdon to do a double take at a phone. <laughs> I noticed that too. <laughs> so like really he's doing good work. At the end of the phone call, Victoria like is like, You killed my father and I'll I will, you know, um she like does the Liam Neeson thing of like if I will find mm-hmm. you and I will kill you and then he's like, A woman of spirit. I am aroused. Perhaps before this night is over, I will find you. And when I do and then he like hangs up. With the words hanging like a blade sure and and it's so gross and i am aroused by the hassassin wait no, no, you no, are not no, the hassassin no, no, is no, okay has- okay no i am not aroused by, the, by the i was hassassin. i was worried for a moment no, no i mean no <laughs> it's one of the i had to close the book okay like that's I was, fair. I was i was only a chapter and i was like mm, no yeah he's He's very gross. And yeah. he's he's not really able to talk to or about a woman without threats of sexual violence, which he is a villain. Yeah, and a sexually violent one. Yeah. You could just skip the I am aroused. He could just say a woman of spirit. Nothing. Well, I mean, perhaps he, he's he not he's not a subtle person. No, he's not. Now we get to check back in with Cardinal Mortati uh-huh. in the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, my only note for this whole section is where the devil nice. Yeah, my I've got a few things. One is just more factual gripes where in Dan Brownaverse, in order to be elected Pope, you have to be a cardinal inside the Sistine Chapel during the conclave. But the actual uh, canon law, I think, pretty much says literally any man who's a Catholic can be the Pope um, and doesn't have to be present to be elected. But for the past several hundred years, it's only been cardinals. I mean, under that, the entire book's premise falls apart. Well, I mean, there's still, like, the favorites. Sure. So, there's, there are still preferiti. Yeah. But, like... But, like and, like, the church isn't going to fall apart if one of the uh, lesser cardinals there is elected. But Probably. Do, do, do the preferiti even have to be in the room to be Oh, elected? no. No. I guess that's true. But, yeah. I mean, if they all wind up dead, then maybe it would be suboptimal hey spoilers i don't re- I, th- I think at least a few of them survive yeah i think so too um he says popes have to be multilingual in italian spanish and english and i just have latin question mark that's italian 
you don't, don't you know? Oh. <laughs> we get the hinting at the Camera Lango's backstory because nobody in a Dan Brown book is allowed to not have some kind of tragic, tragic origin. <clears throat> but we don't know what it is yet. But something's left an impression on him that leave a permanent mark on any man's heart. Um, there's a lot of like, I don't know. It's very sus. We like, like, like the camera line goes very good and loved and full of conviction. And he has a Batman moment that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. But he's not uh, politically ambitious enough to ever become the Pope himself. It's and been he's... offered to him, and he's like, "No, I would like to work right next to the Pope all the time." Well, being the Pope has not been offered to him, but no, 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 no. promotions within the church hierarchy yeah. have been. Chapter 43 is where we get uh, a metaphor that carries out unmixed for an entire paragraph. The Illuminati, like a serpent from the forgotten depths of history, had risen and wrapped themselves around an ancient foe. No demands, no negotiation, just retribution. Demonically simple, squeezing, a revenge 400 years in the making. It seemed that after centuries of prosecution, persecution, science had bitten back. (laughs) I mean, also prosecution. Yes, but that's not the one <laughs> That's in the not book. what's in the book. I have definitely inserted false words into several quotes already this episode um, <laughs> because uh, behind the scenes, we've acquired pop filters of the microphones and they block like 90% of the visual field. Yeah. So reading is difficult. Um, I do have I do have an issue with that. Not it's not the metaphor. The metaphor is fine and works the whole way through. Which well done. I want to. I'm gonna clap. Three cheers for Dan Brown. Well done, Dan Brown. Um, but there are so many short sentences, and my least favorite thing in the world. No, that's not true. My worst, my least favorite literary thing in the world is many, many, many short sentences uh, oh, put together. I have the perfect author for you. Have you read Infinite Jest? <laughs> uh, no, for a reason. <laughs> I. It's pretty good sure I'm, I'm sure it is every um you know what i'll just i'll just <laughs> drop it um, yeah he says no demands no negotiation just retribution demonically simple squeezing and yeah and, ooh, there's no like articles there's you know like yeah yeah i don't like that kind of thing but i'm also like a fitzgerald fan so i was too busy being happy for the man and you had to <laughs> Yeah, this 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 whole thing is just a conversation. It's a conversation between uh, Commander Olivetti and the Camerlengo. And, I mean, Langdon is there, but doesn't really say anything. Um, Vittoria is also having some input. We just, like, reestablish once again that they have to find the canister of antimatter, get it back to CERN, and then they have to figure out where this assassin is and get the cardinals back all before midnight. And I think at this point, it's probably around seven. Yeah. This is definitely a, a catch-up, like, chapter. Like, in case you missed it, mm-hmm. here, here's what here's the, the thing. And we get another one of these in, like, two chapters, so that's great. It's really wild. And, like, these chapters are not short. No, they are not. Um, I'm, ready, I'm ready to move on to four. Yeah, 44. My only note is, why do we need to know where the central office of the BBC is, you impossible dork? In your book, does... What does he say BBC stands for? British Broadcast Corporation? Broadcasting is what it ought to be. <laughs> we're, just, uh, we're just dunking on Dan today, yeah, aren't we? Yeah, the Hassas scene's making more phone calls. Um, this time he has a Mideast accent. Yeah, that's not how that word works. 
I've never seen it used that word, used that way. Like Middle Eastern, always, Mideast, never. Mideast, yeah. So I skipped that. I, I didn't see that. And in the later chapter, it says his Mideastern. Yeah. So we keep moving what is appropriate for describing Middle Eastern people. Um, yeah, it doesn't work like Midwest. It really doesn't. I've never heard that. No, it's, it is bizarre. In this section, he basically just calls the assignment editor at the BBC in an effort to get in contact with um, the reporter on the ground in Rome mm-hmm. who will meet later. But right now, all we know about him is that they recently acquired him from some trashy British tabloid. Yeah, noted. Okay. <laughs> 45! <laughs> um, Robert Langdon has a has a Jimmy Neutron brain blast in this one, which is very exciting. He, like, says he is is remembering the loss of faith and the everything like he's got he's got like a, a memory of like what is the purpose of terrorism it's to create mm, terror and yeah. nothing else which i liked um and then there's a lot of like his head is pounding and he's thinking of the faith of a priest and like what's going on and um and then he remembers the killer's voice which says midnight mathematical progression of death sacrifici virgini nel altare di scienza then suddenly, like a crowd dispersed by a single gunshot, the voices were gone. Robert Langdon bolted to his feet. His chair fell backward and crashed on the mar- marble floor. And he had a he had a, a symbol based brain blast. That's and true. It's very exciting. I wasn't as fond of his realizations about terrorism because it makes him again seem extremely stupid. He's <laughs> he's remembering back to a seminar he went to where someone was discussing terrorism. And the professor giving the lecture asks, what is the singular goal of terrorism? Mm -hmm. And one student says it's killing innocent people. And then there's saying it's a show of strength. And then finally, some lone genius in the crowd to cause terror. Mm -hmm. And then like that is that changes fundamentally the way Robert Langdon thinks of terrorism. Mm. Like that's the name of the thing, buddy. I've actually, like, in my international relations courses, have seen that conversation play out. Okay. So I've had pe- I've had professors be like, why terrorism? And people are like, you know, to show dominance or, like, uh, to whatever, or to get attention. And they're like, well, not, not really, you know? Okay. So that's fair. My experience makes it feel realistic. That's true. College students are... Um, are not great. Not, are, not the brightest yeah. always. Uh, that's why they're there. That's why they're in college, is to become brighter. So I can't, I can't be too mean. Vittoria fights off a oncoming womanly bout of hysteria. Uh, <gasps> she senses that she's starting to come unhinged. An alien distress she recalled only faintly from childhood. Um, but since she's a strong scientist lady, she has tools to handle it. Um, and she has to rely on data. What data does she want? And deep breathing, but she's still suffocating because there's a conflict within her between the masculine <laughs> confines of science and um, and her her and, her, and her natural feminine nature. Her dad died. Well, and she just spoke on the phone to the man who killed him and took his eye out. But she she should be holding it together. You're yeah, right. that's all I'm saying. Yeah, I had a, another young priest thing. Yep, um, it just says. He seemed to possess an eerie poise. Reaching over, he squeezed Langdon's shoulder with a surprising strength. <laughs> it's a very sexy pope, young pope. Hammer Lango. <laughs> He's not the pope. Spoiler alert. He's the pope right now. <laughs> sort of. He's like substitute pope. 
interim pope. Um, He's very sexy and strong. Yeah, and Langdon is okay with it because Langdon's trying to use him to get into the Vatican secret archives. Yeah. He's also complaining about how he can't come to Italy on a lark on a teacher's salary. Do you want to guess what a Harvard professor makes? Um, I'm going to guess 180000 a year. As of 2012, the average was $198,400. I was close. You were close. If Robert Langdon wants to go to Italy, he can fucking go to Italy and also get a grant. You can do that, right? It was the, it was the mid-90s. He was Academic, doing research like, on that. Yeah. Yeah. He could get a grant. He could. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I just, I was thinking about his home that he has, that he owns and all mm-hmm. his furniture. And I was like, there's and no his way. crazy antiques and like stolen looted artifacts. Right. Like there, there's no way, there's no way he can't afford a trip from Boston. Yeah. It's like an eight hour trip. They had the Concord then. It was like an hour and a half. Oh, jeez. Um, there's some foreshadowing again because Dan Brown's good at literary devices. Mm, mm-hmm. The camera Lango pulled a pocket watch from his cassock and looked at it. Mr. Langdon, I am prepared to give my life tonight, quite literally, to save this church. Langdon sensed nothing but truth in his oh, yeah. eyes. Yeah. Langdon's getting very attuned to the Camerlango's vibes that he's putting out. Honestly, he sounds pretty hypnotic, so I don't blame <laughs> Langdon at all. It's weird how Vittoria doesn't seem to be as into the Camerlango. Vittoria only has eyes for Robert Langdon. Gross. Which is gross <laughs> when the Camerlango's right there and he's a Superman with Terrible. green eyes. Anyways, they get permission to go to the library, and Robert Langdon's super excited about it because in the library they have um, treasures like Leonardo da Vinci's missing diaries mm-hmm. and unpublished books of the Holy Bible, which is like the Holy Bible by its definition is a particular subset of writings. There's not unpublished books of the Holy Bible, there's just texts that were not canonized as part of the Bible. Go off for us. <laughs> it's, it's just not the right definition of Bible. <laughs> the Holy Bible is a specific thing. And they decided on it at councils and stuff. That was like the early church's whole deal. <laughs> and so like if there are books that are also early Christian texts, they're not necessarily just books that were not published as part of the Bible. They're just books that weren't included in the Bible. You're right. You got it. <laughs> you tell them. That's what <laughs> this you. whole podcast is for. Um, we um, learn... Oh, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. No, do your thing. Uh, there's just a point at which Victoria is at his side, keeping pace effortlessly in her almond-scented hair mm-hmm. tossed lightly in the breeze. Uh, and I just said almond hair, so Mediterranean. Um, because when visiting Tunisia, I have used almond-scented shampoo. <laughs> Victoria's whole Mediterranean experience is very, you know, very close to my yeah. heart. And um, what better time to note the scent of someone's hair than when you're striding powerfully to the library? And of course, he doesn't tell anyone what he needs to do because it would take too long to no. explain. Although, here's the explanation. There is a secret Galileo book that has the clue to where the people are going to be killed, and I need to find it. It's in the archives. Yeah. And that is a whole explanation. He explains no. it very condescendingly to Vittoria. Yes, he does. A little book written by a guy named Galileo. And then he's basically just defending Galileo's Illuminati again as not being satanic. And he thinks there's some kind of sign in a Galileo book that will lead them to the path of illumination. There's there's so much unnecessary dialogue and so much unnecessary banter in this chapter. I remember just, like, feeling my face melt off. Um, but, you know, we learned some things. Uh, he tells her about the four ancient elements, which is ridiculous that she wouldn't know about that, considering she was raised by a priest. I mean, I think she knows about 
So he says the four ancient elements, and Vittoria says, what do you mean? There's, there are over a hundred. There we go. <laughs> and, and, and then he goes into all these different ancient societies that revered the four ancient elements, and then he says, so we're talking about Western civilization, revering the four ancient elements yeah. as laid out by Aristotle, right? Yep. And, and then he talks also about, like, Chinese reverence of these things, and, and union, and... The yeah, quadrants the ancient of the, unions. Yes. <laughs> and, and the quadrants of the zodiac. Um, and then he says, even the Muslims, as though that's some kind of like far-fetched idea. Although, as though they are not the only reason we have most of the writings of Aristotle. Right. And um, and also, just they're not that far removed from Western thought. No. In fact, they're direct descendants of Western thought. To the best of my knowledge, like the Arabic scholars who did all the smart stuff in the Middle Ages, like really fucking loved aristotle a whole mm, lot so much um and so and okay so it says even the muslims <laughs> revered the four ancient elements although in islam they were known as squares clouds lightning and waves and it's in quotes and i i looked it up i did I, I looked at squares clouds lightning and waves and the only reference i could find was this book um and also when i searched four elements islam i found a bunch of muslim scholars in the middle ages who disproved the four ancient elements <laughs> You know, just, I mean, again, we're, we're really harping on the research area of this, but, you know, it's lazy. It's lazy. And and I know he's a, a rookie at this point in his career, but... Well, the weird thing about being lazy, it's, like, simultaneously lazy that it's not true, but, like, it looks like it's not lazy, because here's all this research he's bringing in to prove how smart Robert Langdon is. Right. So he knows all these things, but it's just they're not right. What what is Dan Brown's wife doing? Where is she? Come on, Blythe. <laughs> is that her name? Yeah, that is the, the name. book. Is, the book is dedicated to her. I think it just Blythe? says for Blythe. What is what's the origin of the name Blythe? Uh, <laughs> oh, you've caught me off guard. <laughs> I did not do that research. Okay. I don't know. Um, I'll look it up, but we can keep we can keep talking. Yeah. Uh, before the next chapter, Langdon makes sure to um, ignore Victoria. Vittoria made some comment, but Langdon did not hear. This chapter is so long. Yeah, he 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 remembers the Illuminati have four brands, one for each of the elements, and they're also ambigrams. And for some reason, they're in English rather than Italian. Although historians debate why that would be, we're going to find out why it would be later. We'll just uh, we'll just okay. So they they get to the the library, right? They do, and they're letting. Yeah, they get to the library. It's like all this crazy security, and the and the Swiss guard isn't happy about letting them in that's and that's it now they're in and they're wondering what mysteries lay beyond it's very exciting wonderful yeah um now we we get to visit the sexy camerlengo again yeah very cool um is this where we get his batman story yep so earlier you said his origin and i just wanted to say like speaking of origin because mm, his yes. story is very <laughs> similar to another character's story in the book origin which is his fifth it's book? like identical well it's his fifth robert langdon book yeah it's like his seventh novel overall i think there's two non-robert langdon ones yeah um yeah it's it's the same story it's the exact same like it's not a problem here but remember it for origin because when we get to origin uh our main villain is gonna have this same backstory and it's gonna be irritating the backstory is that uh he was with his mother who he loved a lot with um he didn't have like a father figure. My guess is his mother was some kind of like loose woman or whatever. But he he thought of her as the Virgin Mary, 
um, which upset his mother. That's my other clue as to the fact that his mm. mother was probably like some kind of sex worker. Um, well, and perhaps the sweet scent of her flesh. Oh yeah, that that keeps coming up. That, <laughs> that happens twice. It's it's very weird. It's so weird. How I want to know about Dan Brown Dan Brown's mom. I yeah okay. Um, so yeah, they're at a church and they're doing church stuff, praying, etc. At altars, and he like, goes away to like look at something. And then there's a concussive roar, and a terrorist has blown up the church, killing his mother, and he survives. Then he gets to go like live in a monastery, and uh, then he goes to, to, to war to learn about evil, and then he comes back and joins the seminary. Um, you have mischaracterized his mother a bit, I think. Mm. Apparently his father died before he was born, which oh. could be some kind of white lie, but might not be. When the church blows up, he can still see his mother kneeling at the pew, blowing him a kiss, and then with the concussive roar, her sweet-smelling flesh was torn apart. Uh, this book is so gross. This book is so gross. He could still taste men's evil, blood showered down, his mother's blood. It's pretty wild. It's so gross. It's it's like it's also very sad. Like I, yeah, I was, I was very emotional about this, although it's the same story as, as origin, but like, so, so the same thing happens in origin and I'm, I'm spoiling it a little bit, but like one of the characters has his family blown up in a church terrorist attack. How many of these have happened? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Do you, do you need a moment? Uh, no, this is for later. I have a, I have a thing prepared for, oh. fact, for fact checking purposes. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, we get his, his backstory. He's gone to the to uh the military and learned evil which i guess explains why he's so strong and like yeah and crucially he learns how to fly a helicopter oh yeah 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 yeah. i forgot that that was important he knows how to fly a, a, her- a helicopter and jump with a parachute he knows how to jump with a parachute which he says was like flying with god he could not get enough the silence the floating i asked an expert friend who has been skydiving once um would you describe skydiving as silent or the sensation of it as floating? And the answer I received was no and no, not silent because the wind is super loud in your ears. And as for floating, you feel this pressure kind of surrounding your body, squeezing you. It is not the same sensation as floating. <laughs> so <laughs> wait, wait, wait. But what about after the parachute opens still? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't ask that. I mean, I just asked if it was my main. My main thing was on silent because I suspect even when the parachute opens, it's not that silent. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. My main other source is Point Break. <laughs> is there any um, floating? Any flying with God in that? Uh, I mean, yeah, but like they're all they're all shouting the whole time. You like, know, I've never seen like, Point Break. Holy shit! You gotta see Point Break. <laughs> it's the best fucking movie. I know. You've seen it like twenty four times. <laughs> I should be able to recall everything they say while they're skydiving, but I can't. But they say, like, it's the source, man. Oh, shit. It doesn't get any better than this. Woo! And, like, Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves both wait until, like, the very last minute to open their chutes up. And it's very tense because, like, they might be, they might have given Keanu Reeves a bad parachute because oh. they know he's a cop. Oh. Um. Holy God. Uh, <laughs> point Break is better than this book. <laughs> um. He, c- okay. I I want to ask you because you've been in, in yeah. churches more than I have. That's true. Um, the Camerlingo crossed himself and stepped over the threshold. For a hot second, I thought he was 
falling off the top of the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not what happens. (laughs) No, he just walks into the Sistine Chapel. Oh, the threshold being the... Like the door. The entrance (laughs) to the... That doesn't require going into church a lot. That requires going through doors a lot. (laughs) It was very dramatic. He crosses, I guess you would, if you go into a church, you would cross yourself first. Yeah. I mean, usually there's like, when you walk in, there's like a baptismal font and you're supposed to dip your fingers in it and cross yourself. Mm. Um, I don't think I've ever been in a Catholic, like a cathedral or a Catholic church chapel. Um, That's not true. In Venice, I did twice. But yeah. Um, they never made me do any kind of crossing or anything. No, I don't think you have to. Well, I don't, I'm not sure you have to ever, but I think it's like you don't, it wouldn't be a thing if you're not like Catholic. Sure. Okay. But yeah, he, he goes in to open the conclave because I guess that's his job. Okay. And now we meet an exciting character in the next chapter. What's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Gunther Glick. Gunther Glick. 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 (laughs) Um, and also my chapter opens with a big b and then another b and then another c same it's, it's it very sucks. weird mine's, mine's even worse oh yours is awful mine is i mean mine is kind of weird too yeah but... it is some dreadful formatting yeah to open up when you have like the big initial letter and then it's bbc and so you have to keep on with the acronym um it's pretty bad this is chapter 48 right yes okay so we check in with Gunther Glick, who is the BBC journalist assigned to cover the Conclave, recently acquired by the BBC from the British Tattler, mm. a, a trashy tabloid of the kind that Britain is rampant with, in my understanding. Yeah, many, many of the sun and different such things. Um, we meet his camera woman, mm-hmm. uh, videographer rather, and she is, where is it? Chinita Macri. Yeah, that's a great name. Um, she was black, although she preferred African-American, a little heavy and smart as hell. And my only notes are, I've never met a black person who prefers African-American. Uh, he has an American camera woman, question mark. Yeah, I actually was like reading way ahead to try to figure out if we get confirmation that she is in fact American. Right. And her mom is Southern Baptist, so I think we're supposed to assume that, that she, she is, is not British. Yeah. Um. Maybe that's why he included that tidbit about her preferring African-American, because he wants us to know she's American, but not in, like, a straightforward way. I mean, Um, I also think it was, like, Dan Brown trying to be what he saw as politically correct in 1990-whatever-it-was. Or, like, what, what like, an educated black woman would say. Yeah. Um, And then also, why do we need to know that she's a little heavy, you know? The two kinds of women in this book are supermodels and <laughs> heavy women <laughs> it's true we never like get a physical description of gunther glick i don't think we don't know that he's heavy we know he's sweating uh um, he's sweating i kind of imagine him looking a little bit like um like a goat okay he's got because he got like a goatee i imagine him being like kind of gaunt and like wiry i was sort of picturing um uh jake gyllenhaal in nightcrawler yes if you're listening at home i pointed at forrest <laughs> Uh, basically he's resentful that he has to be here covering this thing. And then they get a phone call from the Hassas scene who's been patched through by the, whatever assignment editor to whoever he reached the BBC last time. No, no, he hasn't been patched through. He gets the number from them, but it's a small thing. It's important because he keeps calling the guy throughout the book. So to be patched through, he would have to call the main office. Yeah. It'd be a whole thing. Uh, now we learn that his accent is a thick 
Arabic accent. This is before we get Mideastern. Which, I so, if you recall, at some point we were trying to figure out where the Hassas scene is from. Mm -hmm. And we determined that the original Hassas scene were somewhere in, like, Syria, Turkey. Mm -hmm. And if he's from Turkey, which seems possible, although not the most likely... His accent would not be Arabic. Sure, it would be a Turkish accent. So maybe we've ruled out Turkey as country of origin, and we're talking about, and Iran, for that matter, I guess. Mm -hmm. So maybe he is from Saudi Arabia. Maybe he is. Um, Yeah. Also, I mean, an Arabic accent sounds different depending on what kind of Arabic. Yeah. Like, if you're Syrian, you sound different than an Iraqi guy. I mean, actually, those are pretty similar, but, like, being from Yemen... And then being from Syria and then being from, like, Morocco are like, yeah. three different, in, like, entirely different languages. So, but I'm going to go with maybe, like, like Khaliji, like, from Saudi, Qatar, that kind of, the Gulf. There we go. That's the yeah. word in English. Because <laughs> we know for a fact that wherever he's from, women's rights are pretty atrocious. Mm-hmm. And they speak Arabic. So, it seems reasonable. Yeah. Now that I, I have the idea that he's Saudi in my head, I no longer feel any kind of connection oh. <laughs> to him. Uh, we'll talk about my own opinions on Saudi Arabia at a later date. I have a book about it my grandma gave me called Kingdom of the Unjust. Ooh. Now, is that about Islam as a whole or just, it's just about, about Saudi, Saudi Arabia? Arabia. Your um, grandma's a G. <laughs> well, she got it because she was watching a program on KPBS she loves called Book Notes. Mm-hmm. And so she, just on the strength of liking the woman who wrote it and was talking about it, got a copy for all four of her grandkids to see if it was any good. Because she does it sometimes, is send us books, and then one of us, always me, has, <laughs> we'll has, has to read it and say, oh, yeah, this is good, you should read it. Um, but when she got the four copies of this book, she decided it couldn't be any good because the cover is a shade of hot pink that she was she thought was garish and boded ill for the book inside. <laughs> Your family is amazing. My grandma's a strange woman. <laughs> she sounds great. Okay, we're in 49 now. 49. They're in the library. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And we meet my favorite character. Well, we don't meet him, but we hear of my favorite character, Father Jacques Tommaso, who I just imagine being like one-eyed and toothless and just like mm-hmm. not letting anyone into his library, just like beating yeah, people with a stick. Yeah, he's the library troll. Yeah, he is. He doesn't let anyone in, which, you know, I get. It's a very important... If it was my library, I wouldn't let anyone. It's called in the either. goddamn secret archives. Yeah, and 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 Langdon is very upset that he's never been let into this place for good reason. Because as we find out at the end of this chapter, like they steal a thing. <laughs> yes, they steal a one of a kind page of a manuscript That's written on tissue paper. Jackie Tommaso is an, is the MVP of this book because um, he made never, the right call. Yeah, we never get yeah. to meet him, which we is never a bummer. Yeah. Um. But he's the toughest librarian on earth, and Langdon expects to see him in full military fatigues with standing with a bazooka, which kind of rules. <laughs> um, no, I imagine a one-eyed, toothless troll yeah. in with a bazooka. This exactly. is so much better. There's some weird description. The vaults are like these transparent glass cubes where the books are inside so they can like keep a low oxygen environment. Langdon calls them diaphanous vaults, which just strikes me as a strange word choice and then they can't use the computerized library system to find the book because they don't have the password 
Oh, um, yeah. I wrote, I wrote, what in the high fuck is a biblion? Yeah. Um, only a teacher would know that it's called a biblion. Do you, did you know the word biblion I didn't look before it up. this? I just assumed it was some library program from the mid-90s. We get some thrilling information about how the Vatican organizes their library. <laughs> um, Langdon, like, generally gets aroused over it. Um, <laughs> they organize by theme as opposed to, like, by author or time period or anything. Actually, Langdon thought, considering it more closely, this may be the shrewdest cataloging I've ever seen. And it's weird. Um, yeah, and he talks about how he, he, sorry, he talks about how he encourages his students to, like, organize things by themes rather than time periods. And so, like, he's like, oh, yes, this is, this is what I would do. It's very shrewd. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! I hate this chapter is awful. The next yeah. two are, are very bad. Yeah. So um, they're looking for the Senyo in some book of Galileo, and that translates to sign. Yeah. Yeah. And like they gave us that translation, which struck me as unnecessary. But then I realized that's just because of music. Mm-hmm. But so it's probably reasonable. It wasn't too bad for me. There's something about the Illuminati number. The Illuminati number is five. Well, their sacred numbers are five and two, but five hundred three is when they allude to the Senyo. That's when. Yeah. They, that's when they use five hundred three. Um, there's a point here in which uh, I called Langdon a sexist foot, um, <laughs> and it's when he talks about uh, the discourses on the tides, mm-hmm. and she's like, "You may." I don't know if you've heard of it, and she's like, "Yeah, I've heard of it. I um, am a scientist raised by a priest." Well. Um, I have some things about there's there's uh, three works of Galileo discussed in the book, and they are, I think the most famous is probably the uh, Dialogo, which is short for Dialogo sopra i due massimi sistemi del mondo, uh, a dialogue concerning the two chief world systems, which is the book that got Galileo under house arrest and forbidden from publishing anymore Mm -hmm. in 1632, which that book's original title was dialogue on the tides, but the church made him change it because that if they let him publish it that way, it would seem like a acknowledgement of the theory of tides that he had, which incidentally was wrong and flawed. And Einstein dunked on him later and said the fascinating arguments in the last conversation would hardly have been accepted as proof by Galileo had his temperament not gotten the better of him. Um, And then he mentions the second book, which is Discorsi, that Vittoria says is Discourses on the Tides. And it's not. He did write a book called Discourse on the Tides, Discorso sul Fluso e il Refluso del Mare. But he wrote that in 1616, far earlier it was a different, equally wrong theory about how tides worked. This discorsi is the Discorsi e Demostrazioni Matematiche in Torno a Due Nueve Science, Discourses and Mathematical Demonstrations Relating to Two New Sciences, which he was not allowed to publish, so he had it published in Holland, where there were Protestants. And the church, as it turns out, didn't fucking care. It got down to Rome, and the bookstore that had it sold out, and no one seemed to mind. Did you practice these names? No. Oh, okay. (laughs) I just wrote them down. You're doing a good job. Thank you. Uh, And then finally, the last book, the one they're actually looking for, is posited to be another book he wrote in secret when he wasn't allowed to publish called uh, Diagramma della Verita. Mm -hmm. And that one, Dan Brown just made up. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> so in short, Vittoria is stupid for thinking that he was talking about the discourse on the tides. Because it's... Because that book was either earlier or the original title of the Dialogo. Okay, so I, I was wrong. He's not a sexist foot. I mean, he is, because he's amazed she's heard of the obscure publication on the tides when uh, he's talking about a different book, but he doesn't know that. Um, in the author's note, it says, references to all works of art, tombs, tunnels, and architecture in Rome are entirely factual. Um, um, this doesn't count as a work of art, then, does it? I mean... The diagramma? That's, I, I had the same thought, and I think it might, because like, the way it's written is a style that was used... I think reasonably frequently at the time it's like written in the style of a dialogue. Mm -hmm. So it's like kind of novelish, but like science novelly. And it seems like it might be a work of art to me. Either way, it's definitely wrong. Okay. What was it? Where were we? Uh, Diagramma, which was Galileo's most secretive work, but was also somehow wildly popular. Mm. Two things that do not go hand in hand. Yeah, that was, um, that was, that was, I, I just, my, my brain decided not to engage with that. Um, but you're right. Uh, my next note, I, I skipped a lot of this. I mean, yep. there's a thing about DC2 and how he figured out what what this 503 means, and it means diagramma. Yeah. 503 means D1, 2, like, like in Roman numerals. And he does, oh, he does another sexist foot thing where he's like, uh, the number 503 in Roman numerals is, and she says D-I-I-I, which I assume she said that way, you know? sure and, and 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 he's like that was fast are you in the illuminati <laughs> and she's like no you dingus i'm a scientist yeah. she <laughs> uses roman numerals to codify pelagic strata i'm not even a scientist and i know yeah that. people know roman numerals people know roman numerals they uh, they follow the super bowl you know so my next note is uh that they talk about why he didn't publish that he knew what 503 meant and she's like you wanted the glory mm. and he was like well yeah i wanted to publish you know publish or perish and she's like we call it substantiate or suffocate <laughs> which is stupid and i'm sure no one at cern ever uses substantiate or suffocate um it but it sets up it sets up uh like a pithy line at the end of the chapter because later there she's like i can't breathe oh no at the end of chapter uh. 50 Later, she's like, it's so fucking oxygen low in here. And he's like, substantiate or suffocate. Quite literally, which is awful. It's awful. It's <laughs> awful. It's so bad. I missed that. So, yeah, it tur turns out that the DC3 or whatever the fuck. Uh, D3. D3. Yeah, D-I-I-I is not. Or shit. Whatever. We learned that it's not, in fact, a Roman numeral. It's referring to the third book galileo wrote that started with d so it's not the dialogo or the discorsi the fake it's discorsi. also the d it must be the made-up diagramma mm -hmm. that takes forever to get to and it requires robert langdon remembering one time he saw a boat that was called the dcii and he's like why what's up with 602 for these people's wedding and it's just dick and connie uh it stands for dick and connie too because the first one sunk Anyways. Yesterday at the rehearsal dinner, yeah. so they got a new barge in a 24-hour period and yeah. painted a new number on it. It's powerfully stupid. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is powerfully stupid. So now they're in the vault in Chapter 50. They're in the vault. Um, Has to be low on oxygen because, as we're told, oxygen is an oxidant. And he explains that to a scientist <laughs> who lives in a submarine. Oh, at this point, I thought, I really want to watch this movie. Like, I want to see the archive scene. 
The archive scene's okay. I haven't seen it. Um, I don't think Victoria's in it. Oh, if no? If I recall correctly. In the in the whole movie? No, in the in the archive scene. Who plays Victoria? Uh, some, some Italian lady. lady? It's yeah. not important. No. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a whole thing about how he's very um, he's he's very fit, so he's very like mm-hmm. capable of being here. Um, Victoria is also in great shape, so she can also be in the box. And I wrote, where is it? She's obviously in great shape. She could have asthma, you dingus. Because being hot is not an indicator of having good lungs. And that's all I had to say about that. That's true. He also takes the opportunity to, like, think unkind thoughts about an older woman academic. Um, he does. Vittoria was nothing like the doddering ancient Radcliffe alumni, Langdon. Which, alumna, singular. <laughs> Anyways, alumna, Langdon had once squired through White, White, Widener, Widener Library's White. Hermetic Vault. Mm-hmm. The tour had ended with Langdon giving mouth to mouth to an old woman who'd oh, almost God. aspirated her false teeth. Oh, poor Langdon having to give <laughs> mouth to mouth to an old dying woman. <laughs> they have some banter, even though her dad, again, was just murdered. Yeah, I wrote that. Her dad died a day ago. Um, or this today. Today, earlier today. Earlier earlier, today earlier that, well, um, <laughs> this he is has not... a worksheet or something. <laughs> It's not fully complete yet, but I have an Angels and Demons timeline. T- Your handwriting is beautiful. Thank you. So, yeah, at midnight... Um, it's beautiful. Um, well, so her dad was murdered sometime before midnight of that morning because at midnight, the antimatter was taken off the podium and her dad had to be dead before that happened. Wait, is it, is it 24 hours or 12 hours on the 24 canister? hours. Okay. So at 11.18 a.m. that day in Switzerland is when Langdon first gets the call. He winds up at CERN at about one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, her dad. Anyway, her dad yeah, died that day. Her dad died that day. It's it's her dad died less than twenty four hours ago. Yeah, and she's and she's bantering. And she's really known well. about it. She's known about it for less than twelve hours. Yeah, he explains to her that you need to wear gloves when dealing with documents, which is just something. And it's 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 what it is is wrong. Oh, he has notes. <laughs> Um, from the u.s library of congress contrary to widespread belief gloves are not necessarily recommended to handle rare or valuable books there the exception is if the book has like arsenic or something on it that would be detrimental for you to touch Mm. it is generally preferable to handle books with clean hands washed with soap and thoroughly dried and the international preservation news says that the idea you have to use gloves to handle old and rare manuscripts is a dangerous and pervasive myth. Dangerous? Dangerous why? Uh, It can make your hands less sensitive to what you're doing, so you're more likely to accidentally tear it or something. Oh, that's really interesting. I actually thank you for for that. I learned it initially from uh, Philomena Kunk discovers Shakespeare, which is a (laughs) BBC comedy thing. I love Philomena Kunk. She rules. She's the best. Uh, this chapter ends with Langdon smiled and smoothed his gloves. Smooth is an awful word to say, <laughs> by the way. Substantiate or suffocate, Miss Vetra. Mm. Mickey's ticking, which is the worst. Sen- I mean, apart from the last it's sentence in, the, in this book, is mm. the worst sentence. Yeah. So um, the the idea here is since the librarian is not outside to turn on the oxygen in the room, they have 20 minutes to find the thing they need to find in the library or else they'll suffocate. C- couldn't they leave? And then come back in? Impossible. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they all they are also on a time crunch in that 
in an hour because it's just after seven the first cardinal's gonna die at eight mm-hmm. so they have to figure out where this is and be there by eight mm-hmm. no I, I get that but again they could yeah they they're could not they're not gonna that. suffocate and die but we have to have that worry mickey's ticking mickey is ticking <laughs> uh we get to go back to gunther glick yes and i think really what he does here mostly is nothing yeah he just is like i received a call from a from a guy with a mid-eastern accent this is where a mid-eastern accent yeah. is um and that's it and 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 uh what's her name makri mm-hmm. shanita makri is just like no you don't that's a crazy person and and um glick is like yeah but it's more fun than this so <laughs> we'll go we'll go follow this um yeah and we learn that the assassin believes that the media is the right arm of anarchy, which sounds pretty cool. And pretty timely. I'm just going to leave that there. Yeah. Um, and then I'm we're back sorry. to the library. I hit the mic. Yeah, it's fine. Back to the library. Back to the library. Yeah. <laughs> I love the library. We've been in the library for two chapters, which is just too long. It's too long. Vittoria finds the diagramma and tells Robert, with her throaty voice. So they're looking for something in the lingua pura. Is that what it is? Pura yes. Lingua? Which they're looking for something in the lingua pura or pure language, which Langdon says has to be math. Right. And this is, and now I understand why they talked about in CERN when they were at CERN, he was like, yeah, they were like, we talk in the oh. universal language of science. And he was like math. And I was like, you idiot. And then, and then Kohler was like, no English. And I was like, oh, why do I, why, why is that? Like, that's stupid. That, that was unnecessary. But now I get a little bit. I mean, it's still, we didn't need it, but I get why. Like we could have just skipped yeah, right here. Doing, where he, he was thinks doing foreshadowing. He was again. doing foreshadowing there. Okay. Fair enough. Dan Brown. I mean, still not fair enough. We could have skipped it and just gone to this because we know what the math of, language yeah. of math is we could have just saved it for here but the diagramma it says is printed on papyrus mm-hmm. which i can't find any explicit confirmation that nothing in europe was printed on papyrus <laughs> but like the last widespread use of it the papal bulls were issued on papyrus for forever up until like 10 something mm-hmm. 600 years before galileo be writing so i don't know where he's getting papyrus to make these books on um but maybe he had a source. Maybe it was his friend Milton. It could have been his friend Milton. Wow, I have a whole page free of any notes, which means that it must have been incredibly boring. <laughs> is that? Oh, yeah. This is a very boring. They just just talk about like ellipses and and lunar phases, and they're just going through like different things in the book. Basically, it it's sucks very boring. so much. It sucks so bad, and we don't need it. And we got to go back to the Hassassin after, so yeah. we should absolutely just skip it. Yeah, so 53, Hassassin is somewhere beneath Rome, and I assume still wearing a robe or cape yeah, or something. I think so. Um, and he's in the passageway lit by torches, which is dope. And then he rounds the corner, and there are four old men who we understand to be the um, the cardinals that were taken. Yeah, because we learned earlier the four cardinals, one's from Germany, one's from France, one's from Spain, one's from Italy. Yeah, my note here is um, the Cardinals are basically the Enchanted Tiki Room, mm-hmm. um, except instead of one being British, one is Italian. Yeah. Which is great. I just imagine them like sitting in perches and like leading a luau. Yeah, so the first two ask in their own languages what's going on. So, qui êtes-vous? One of the men demanded in French. And then the German guy says, Hilfe! Let us go! Do you know what Hilfe means in German? I'd probably help. Okay. 
Um, I don't know though. And uh, uh, go ahead. Oh, my question would be: Are you like a native French speaker, or did you learn later in life? No, I so I learned Arabic and French together, and then I learned English when I was three. Okay, yeah. So if you were kidnapped by somebody, would you, when addressing them, use the vu or tu form? Um, I don't know what level of formality one uses for a kidnapper. For a kidnapper, yeah. Um, I think I would, I would use vu. Okay. Because because they have I use vu de- for strangers. Yeah, you know? that makes sense. Yeah, kid vu. Okay. Uh, the Spanish and Italian guys both speak in English. Well, the Italian doesn't speak. Yeah, he doesn't. He just thinks, God help us, in English. And then the assassin checks his watch and asks who's going to be first. And that's the end of that chapter. It's great. It's a great chapter. It's I actually pretty like good. it a lot. We're like, here are the four old men, and now one of them will die. Yeah, and like, and, and like the, the assassin remains quiet the whole time to maintain his air of mystery he's mm-hmm. cultivated. I like it. And then we go back to the library. God damn it! <laughs> uh, the thing is, in general, I like this. I like this section because, like, because like symbol-based crime things happen. Yeah, Langdon's hopped up on symbol-based crime. <laughs> Langdon tried to see what he was looking at, but all he could make out was the page number in the upper right-hand corner of the sheet, Folio Five. It took a moment for the coincidence to register, and even when it did, the connection seemed vague. Folio Five, Five, Pythagoras, Pentagrams, Illuminati. Langdon wondered the Illuminati would have chosen page five on which to hide their clue. So like he's he's doing the thing that like Bible code people do where they get like really obsessed with the significance of a particular digit and then just like carry it through to ridiculous extremes. Um, so I didn't find it as ridiculous because okay. it as as noted in this <laughs> book, the Illuminati are like way into their yeah. numbers. Um my thing is, why wouldn't you have started with Folio 5? If you knew that, yeah. that those were the two sacred whatever numbers for the Illuminati, you would go to 2 and be like, nothing here. And then you go to 5 and be like, what are all these little scribbles in the margins? And then you would check the rest of the book. But at this mm-hmm. point, they've gone through the whole book twice yeah, and haven't found anything, but which then, is yeah. a waste of time. And then Vittoria finds a footnote in a crease, mm-hmm. which... I can't picture what a footnote, why a footnote would be in a crease. Because, like, you have to have a crease in a very weird place to obscure a footnote. My guess is it's, like, right in here. Okay. But it's, like, a full line of iambic pentameter. It's not a very well-written book. <laughs> okay. Well, and then also, it's, there's, it, it goes around the entire page, too. There's one on each side of the yeah, page. Yeah, so why would so you, you like, why, note the one in the so crease like, first? Yeah, like, it's so dumb. Um, but anyways, Vittoria finds uh, a line in the crease, and it's the path of light is laid, the sacred test. And it's in English. Yeah. He says, um, are you sure of the translation? And Vittoria hesitated. Actually, she glanced over with him in a, with a strange look. It's not technically a translation. The line is written in English, which... It's not even, like, not technically a translation. What do you mean it's not technically a translation? <laughs> it's not a translation. Yeah. You would say... Are you sure of the translation? She'd say, it's, it's in not, English. Yeah. And he'd be like, Very what? Dumb. Anyway. Dan Brown writes the craziest paragraph I've ever fucking heard. <laughs> so I'm excited. Vittoria's like, well, English is the language of science. And then Dan Brown, or Robert Langdon says, but this was in the 1600s. Nobody spoke English in Italy. Not even. He stopped short, realizing what he's about to say. Not even the clergy. Langdon's academic mind hummed in high gear. 
In the 1600s, he said, talking faster now, English was one language the Vatican had not yet embraced. They dealt in Italian, Latin, German, even Spanish and French. But English was totally foreign inside the Vatican. They considered English a polluted, free thinker's language for profane men like Chaucer and Shakespeare. Uh, he flashed suddenly on the Illuminati brands of earth, air, fire, water. The legend that the brands were in English now made a bizarre kind of sense. That paragraph is bananas. Like, the Protestant Reformation had happened, so, like, it makes sense the Vatican didn't have a lot of use for English, but, like, polluted free thinkers' language for profane men like Chaucer and Shakespeare. Chaucer and Shakespeare aren't, like, a lot more profane than any continental author was. And also, Chaucer was a long fucking time ago at this point. But, like, Boccaccio also, was writing equally profane shit in um, Italian. Also, at this point, weren't there... Um, also Moliere, but, um, yeah, it's just weird. Like the Vatican didn't have control over any language. Mm -hmm. Um, The the whole thing's fucking weird. Doesn't make any (laughs) sense. I don't, it makes me so mad. (laughs) Anyway. So it's a poem written by Milton, who was a contemporary and friend of Galileo and who hung out with him when he was on house arrest and apparently wrote some stuff in the margins to be like, here's where you start the path yeah. to enlightenment um yeah i'm skipping over a whole bunch of it but we're i, I can't <laughs> yeah there's a bunch of like numerology stuff to... where iambic pentameter is notable because it's five sets of couplets of two syllables which are both the illuminati sacred numbers oh uh and then they, at the end of it uh vittoria runs off with that page yeah they're running out of oxygen she just tears the page out of the folio does she tear the page out or she take the whole folio i think she just takes it took right. the page yeah um and then i i tried to look up it was in 1999 right that this was written i think so, so i guess they didn't have camera phones but no the pen and paper one like i'm sure they have but like they just had to take the page because what if there's something more on it or something i don't know it's 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 on the back of the it's very it's very ceiling <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> is that no. they leave the library hallelujah and <laughs> or as vittoria would say hallelujah she sl- she slips the folio out of Langdon's pocket uh, like a like a boxer <laughs> with the slight of a boxer S L E I G H T yeah um and with lissom hands the whole poem we finally learn is from Santi's earthly tomb with demons whole cross Rome the mystic elements unfold the path of light is laid the sacred test let angels guide you on your lofty quest. Milton would never write that fucking bullshit. It's a very bad poem, and Milton would never write something that bad. Or that straightforward. I feel like Milton always wrote in blank verse, too. Yeah. I don't know. know. But he was doing, like, a special Illuminati commission. Yeah. Um, Do-do-do. What do I have here? Oh, uh, Leighton has already figured it out, because he's a genius. And um, there's a whole dig about... There's a whole thing about Santi and, like dropping your last name and prince and yeah. he's embarrassed that he knows madonna's last name which is I, yeah awful because madonna is a legend and how dare you be embarrassed about knowing things about madonna well robert Lane's obsessed with only being seen to be smart about like the right kind of thing which he isn't um <laughs> and so like with the star trek thing he like tried to play that down because like oh like it's uh i'm not a nerd about that i'm a nerd about like symbols with Madonna, he's like, I know her last name, but it's like not because I like Madonna. Uh, it's just because like I have students, and students are trash people who like trash culture, not good things. <laughs> There's nothing worse than a nerd who looks down on pop culture as some as like being less worthy. 
you know. He fucking calls Prince the Tau Cross with intersecting hermaphroditic onk because he's a piece of shit and yeah. can't just say Prince. Yeah. Or the symbol if you yes. have to. Like, fuck off. Prince is a thousand times cooler than Robert Landon could be in, like, at any point in his life. R.I.P. R.I.P. Prince. Yeah. Um, the moral of the story is that Santi is Raphael. Yeah. Um, Robert Landon has figured it out and is like, oh, I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, I figured it out. And he has this whole thing <laughs> about his Protestant work ethic and about how, like, if it wasn't really difficult to do, then you didn't do it right. And he's and he felt like a disquietude about having figured <laughs> it out so early. And I just wrote, like, what a Mary Sue. Like, how? Well, I mean, that is going to turn out to be some more foreshadowing. Yeah. No, it is. It's just awful. Yeah. He's like, I, I know I'm I know I'm a genius, but like, <laughs> like, I didn't mean to, you know, I feel really bad about it's it. Like, <laughs> oh, damn. I'm so smart. This hard myrtle is super easy for me. <laughs> Whoops. It's not that hard. <laughs> oh um so she's she's reading the poem she's holding the folio and she is reading the poem and it says he's bewitched by her by ah, bewitched by vittoria's accented alto speaking the syllables in perfect rhythm with her gait and what i wrote was is accented alto speaking the syllables in perfect rhythm with her gait the kind of thing men are men find attractive well when you're uh um oh what's it called sapiosexual like robert langton (laughs) oh my god (laughs) how awful (laughs) i hate people who do that shit i guess i guess i'm i'm only attracted to (laughs) the mind uh no i'm serious though like is that the kind of stuff that men are like oh look how i mean how rhythmic her alto is well i mean they wouldn't think yeah i mean like like people can have attractive voices no for sure I would never ever. I would never in a million years walk. phrase it that way. Sure, but like, I don't know. Like, like when I am attracted to women, I don't think of like how well timed her voice is with her steps. You know, no, not outside like the marching choir context <laughs> that we're all familiar with. There's marching. Choir. I don't think so. That got me really excited. I want to be in a marching choir. I mean, sometimes show choirs do like foot stuff but i don't know i want to be like a marching band and they do like formations because yeah. then i could have just not done pe and done marching choir for four years yeah um there's that um lengthen is a smart ass about prince that's what i have yeah um there's a bit about the pantheon being able being a, a shrine to gaia and being able to hold a whole sphere and i looked it up and yes she they keep running into like guards in the vatican who like draw their weapons on them who because they don't know who they are which made me, you know, think of the lack of, of communication within the Vatican. Like, no one knows anything about anything that's going on, which is an awful way to run a security force. Not even Captain Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> Next, we get some more brand names. Langdon's convinced Olivetti to let him go to the Pantheon with some Swiss guards. And mm-hmm. so they're going in four unmarked Alfa Romeo 155 T-Sparks, going down the Via dei Coronari, um, the guards have Cherchi Pardini semi-automatics, local radius nerve gas canisters. Um, he's he's claustrophobic again. There should be a claustrophobic count in this book. We should have done that, but we didn't. Yeah. We'll do it in the next book. Yep. We live and we learn. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, Olivetti is still a shithead despite Langdon and Vittoria being right about everything forever. Yep. Um, Langdon is a pro at not revealing information until right before it's relevant mm-hmm. like when they're like oh yeah we could just follow the clues and he's like well 
that was over a century ago. Who can say? <laughs> um, yeah, so he says that the reason they can't follow the clues is that in the late 1800s, the Vatican had all the statues in the Pantheon removed and destroyed, which, as far as I can tell, is not true. Like, okay. at some point, there were Olympian god statues in there, but not in the time of whoever the mysterious sculptor is and Galileo and Milton, they had Christian statues in there by that point and still do today. Mm. Um, but Olivetti's not super concerned about catching this guy coming out of the Pantheon because there's only one entrance. It's garden, guarded by four Roman policemen who protect the shrine from three things, art defacers, anti-Christian terrorists and gypsy tourist scams. <sighs> Just so we can get our, quota of racial slurs oh geez today um, vittoria gets a chance to exercise uh, a fairly twisted imagination where she's trying to posit ways that like the that assassin one. could um carry this off without having to physically enter or exit the pantheon yeah i really like that she was just like here's one gruesome way to kill someone here's another gruesome way to kill someone i'm like vittoria yeah, you my, use that grief. <laughs> like... my, my margin note says, LOL, I heart Vittoria. <laughs> One way is that the killer drives a helicopter over the Pantheon and drops the Cardinal through the demon's hole at the top and splatters him on the ground. And then the other way is to drug him and put him in a wheelchair so he looks like an old person that the assassin's taken care of and then quietly knife him and just walk back out like a normal tourist mm -hmm. before attention's drawn. So uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that a lot. And then right after that, Langdon's like, damn, this girl's hot. I feel an unexpected connection, a thread of magnetism. Yeah. That's, what did I write here? Uh, I wrote gross. Yeah. That's what I wrote. I wrote, remember when writing romance, tell, don't show. <laughs> In chapter 57, uh, Maximilian Kohler's back and he's high as hell. Yeah. I wrote, hell yeah, Dakotic. <laughs> Um, I also said that he describes his dead legs. Yeah. Struggling with his dead legs, he dressed himself, and I said, maybe a more sensitive way to say that than dead legs. Almost certainly. But he's hopped up on chromalin and leukotrine. Mm -hmm. um, and all that happens is he gets himself to his wheelchair he and escapes. leaves the infirmary. Yeah, he escapes the infirmary, despite having just almost died from neglecting his medical care yeah my note here is good chapter <laughs> yeah, it's less it. than a page long it was short and <laughs> had one and... of my favorite characters he was extremely high on that lean <laughs> uh it ruled this chapter all of that is deploying his men around the pantheon and telling them to use non-mortal force he also says be pas visible and i didn't know if that was italian but i think it's french but they're swiss so it doesn't matter yeah they can speak everything yeah what else? Um, a lot of law enforcement talk. Um, uh, Dan Brown reveals his feminist credentials this time around. Oh, um, go ahead. Vittoria volunteers because Olivetti, knowing that the Swiss Guard may be infiltrated by the assassin, doesn't want to send his men inside where they might be detected. Mm -hmm. And so Vittoria wants to be sent inside and uh, is has determined that the reason he's not going to let her is because she's a woman. Um, I would love to have a recon point inside, but but what, Vittoria demanded, but I'm a woman? This had better not be where you're going to say, Commander, because you know damn well this is a good idea, and if you let some archaic macho bullshit... Oh my god. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, oh, the cringing is... Oh, hold on, I need a, I need a moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's uh, just so much. <laughs> um, okay, so 
So she's like, he doesn't know what I look like. And that's, I mean, probably not because I didn't really have, like, I mean, it was 99. But he's, she, he also knows that she's the daughter of this person. Of, yeah. Of, uh, of Vetra. And also, uh, she's a famous CERN scientist. So I don't she, think she's famous. Wouldn't, I mean, okay, maybe not famous. Could, famous yeah, say, would, you would you look her up? Wouldn't there be on the CERN website, like, our staff, you know? Well, I mean, so we know that as of like an hour ago on the phone, he was surprised to learn that Leonardo had a daughter. Although he's been in the lab, wouldn't, I guess he wouldn't know. There might be pictures of Vittoria in there. Yeah. Um. And so maybe he hasn't had time in the past hour to go to a, a cyber cafe in Italy. Um, <laughs> Probably not. Anyways, this is all a ploy on Vittoria's part to get uh, all of Eddie's number. Because he puts his number in her cell phone so that way they can talk when she's in the Pantheon. And her her goal is to be on the phone as though she was on the phone with her husband Mm -hmm. when she's talking to Olivetti, which complicates things later. Yeah. Not in the plot, but for me in my my understanding of of the plan. (laughs) Yeah. So it winds up that Langdon is kind of conned into going with her because she wants her to have some men to support her in this dangerous mission. Right. And so he gets roped into playing the part of her newlywed husband. Yeah. And now, and my note here was now who will she be on the phone with? Yeah. That's a good question. Are they, are they both going to be on the phone? I mean, only one of them. Uh, she's going to be on the phone with her boyfriend. (laughs) I don't know. They might have a, in accented English. Yeah. They have a progressive relationship. An Italian woman speaking in accented English in Italy on the phone is normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm just checking. I mean, all of that, he probably speaks Italian. They can speak Italian. Right. But they're not going to because she did it in English just there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then at the end, they're like, you, you can be newlyweds. And then, I don't know, he's like, I, he could t- he could almost see. Oh, here it is. As I turned the corner, Langdon could have sworn he saw on Victoria's face the hint of a smile, which aside from the sentence structure that I hate there. It's kind of like in a teen show when you like accidentally yeah. fall on your crush or you get yourself cast as like yeah. the romantic lead opposite. It's your dad's stupid. dead, but you're holding hands with a cute symbologist. Her dad fucking died today. <laughs> da- two day- her father, who adopted her, died. And she's like, I get to, mm, I get to, I get to, cozy up to this erudite old man. She also got to act cool because she got Olivetti to give her a gun and Robert Langdon doesn't know how to use it. And she's like, I know how to use it. I can tag a breaching porpoise from 40 meters off the bow of a rock bow of a rocking ship. Uh, <laughs> and, and in the next, okay, next chapter. I'm, I'm yeah. done here. <laughs> they, we meet uh, Captain Elias Roche. Ferrero. Ferrero Roche. And um, he's a barrel chested man with soft putty like features, which is nice. I'm I'm into it. Oh, I was picturing Commander Odo from DS9. <laughs> That's not what I imagined at all. <laughs> no. Okay, so we have com- competing views of uh, Commander Roche. <laughs> um, I want to read the mixed metaphor here. Go for it. They sometimes joke that Roche... Okay, his men called him Orso, Grizzly Bear. I think it just means bear, but it's whatever. Um, they sometimes joke that Roche was... The bear who walked in the viper's shadow. Commander Olivetti was the viper. Rocher, Rocher was just as deadly as the viper, but at least you could see him coming. And and I would like to talk about this because... I don't think that metaphor is mixed. It's not mixed. It's just bad. It's just bad. You're right. It's not 
Bear walking in snake shadow is a bad metaphor. I know it doesn't have to be literal, but it's taken literally in the next sentence when they explain about deadly and seen. Like, you yeah. can't walk in a viper shadow because vipers don't have shadows because they're snakes. That's true. If you're a bear, you can't be in it. Well, they have shadows, just not big shadows. Sure, that's not big enough for a bear to walk in. No. Um, and Roche's description is entirely done in similes and metaphors. His voice was surprisingly crystalline. I love that. Um, his tone had the clarity of a musical instrument, but his eyes were cloudy like those of some nocturnal mammal. Like a bear? Yeah. That's what leads into that. <laughs> it's just like a lot of strange metaphors to describe this guy. We don't know anything about what Glick looks like at all, except no, for he has he's a red sweaty. goatee. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. it sucks. Um, um, we also meet rookie lieutenant chartrand yep uh who is a like a rookie he's like new and he's nervous and uh i like him i hope he does well yeah they're setting up the search party to find the antimatter canister that's all that happens here they're going to be killing power in selected areas in the vatican and now the last chapter that we read this week chapter 60 last chapter and i wrote here um it reads like dan brown wrote this chapter three months after the last chapter we're already talking about like previously on Angels of Demons, and we talked about his Harris tweet again, although we just talked about it. It also reads like Dan Brown is racist against Italians. <laughs> um, there's a line of taxis with all the drivers sleeping because nap time was eternal in the eternal city. The ubiquitous public dozing, a perfected extension of the afternoon siestas born of ancient Spain. I have never been to Rome, so I can't verify if this is true or not. It might just be that everyone in Rome is asleep all the time, or it might be that Dan Brown is racist against Italians. So I've only ever been to Rome at night, and no one is asleep at night in Rome. So okay. I assume they're all asleep during the day. Yeah, and we're like approaching 8 o'clock now. Oh, they're napping at 8? Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Weird. Uh, there's a timeline problem. This is where I made my timeline. <laughs> so it says that six hours ago, Robert Langdon had been sound asleep in Cambridge. Six hours ago from this point, as I said, almost 8 o'clock would have been like between one and two in the afternoon. At that point, Langdon was walking around CERN with Kohler and Vittoria. He mm. was not asleep in Cambridge. He hasn't been asleep in Cambridge since about 11 in the afternoon. Uh, Rome time. Yes. I have a question. Wait, 11 in the afternoon? 11 a.m. 11 a.m. That's not oh, the afternoon. Oh, in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, I have I have a timeline question. So so the 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 timeline of the murders. Yeah. So one at Earth at eight, water at nine, air at ten, fire at eleven, and then antimatter bomb. Then antimatter at bomb midnight. at midnight. Okay, just just checking. Robert Langdon is stressed about it, so he's squeezing Victoria's hand too strong. Mm-hmm. Um, even though her grasp does have a strength that of an independent and determined woman. I have to end the podcast here. <laughs> I'm sorry. The metaphor is like an independent and <laughs> determined woman. <laughs> Vittoria's hand was strong, like Vittoria's hand. <laughs> I bumped the thing. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's, it's so And Langdon bad. is assuming that this is because she's attracted to him he feels a growing attraction get really told himself because her fingers wrap around his with the comfort of innate acceptance which doesn't seem that independent womany um i don't know there's like there's like a contrast between her strong 
grasp of determination and independence and then the innate acceptance yeah yeah acceptance of of robert langdon he's a douche at least his hands yeah but but like she's (laughs) inexplicably attracted to him (laughs) okay um she tells him to breathe through his eyes and says it's a relaxing technique called uh, pranayama yeah which as far as i can tell is just general breath control and not about breathing through your eyes but it did lead me to some fun uh, Quora and Yahoo Answers questions. Where people are like, can you breathe through your eyes? Because I think I can. <laughs> um, what was the answer? Everyone was like, no. But one guy was like, I, I definitely can. If anyone tries to ever suffocate me, I'm going to be fine because I can breathe through my eyes. Um, I like the internet a lot. Yeah, the best thing about this book is how much fun research you've gotten to do. Yeah. Um, they go in the Pantheon, I think is all that happens. And then Robert Langdon takes this opportunity when they've walked into the Pantheon mm-hmm. to second guess that thing about Vittoria shooting porpoises and says, have you ever fired anything that's not a tranquilizer gun? And, uh, their new marriage is undergoing some strain already. Porpoises. Don't you trust me? Trust you. I barely know you. Vittoria frowned. And here I thought we were newlyweds. Yeah. It's important to use humor to diffuse stressful situations. Especially when your dad just died. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my only note for like the second half of that chapter is awful banter forever. It's rough. It's very bad. Uh, and that's that's chapters uh, 41 through 60. Yeah, so that brings us to grades. Grades. What um, you got for the Dan Brown level of this section? I'm going to give it an A-. minus. Things happened. Yeah, I'm giving it an A. Like, yeah. they, there was Galileo reading. There was symbols and art and Raphael Santi. Mm-hmm. I learned his last name. I've forgotten it many times over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was extremely Dan Brown. It was. Um, the only reason I gave it a minus is because we do get cut in the library for a long time and it gets yeah, dull. Yeah, that's true. He gets better at moving <clears throat> through that kind of thing in the Da Vinci Code mm-hmm. um, as being like, we're doing the research and now we're not doing the research anymore and here's less dialogue. Now we're in motion. Yeah, but Angels and Demons is a rough start. And then what about level of joy this brought to you? Um, joy, pretty high. Uh, are we do, doing grades? Yeah. I don't know what I gave the last section. I think a C. Um, I'm giving this one a B plus. I enjoyed it. I had a good time. Um, there was a good, you know, there were a lot of good scenes where like I was like, I can't wait to see this in the movie or otherwise like I really enjoyed Deconic like getting up out of his thing and, you know fun characters there was a little little uh take your room thing yeah. i really yeah i like this part i give it a b plus for me for joy level i think i'm giving it a b okay anyways uh angels and demons who's your angel my angel is the librarian okay i and i wrote it down and it was it was close because we had uh captain roche who i really liked yeah uh we had the rookie lieutenant who i really liked um Camerlingo continues to be sexy <laughs> and mysterious but for me, it's a librarian because he made the right call not letting Robert Langdon into that uh, archive for years yeah, and years and this years. is our first off-screen angel. Yeah. Uh, my angel is Gunther Glick, yeah. the reporter, almost entirely because his name is Gunther Glick. Mm-hmm. I like that a whole lot. He has a lot of, like, introspection. He's very much into, like, what have I done with my life? I spent most of my career making shit up for a tabloid. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think he's on the verge of, like growth yeah he wants he wants a pulitzer prize for this exciting uh 
murder at Vatican City story. And honestly, I cannot blame him. And he's got a woman of color to do all the legwork for him all the way up. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Living his life correctly. <laughs> um, I think she's going to get some credit, too. No, she, yeah. Uh, their, their relationship is going to progress as we go through the book. Like, not like, I don't know. Anyways, I, I like them together is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, demon. Who's your demon? My demon is Vittoria this time around. I'm intrigued. I, I can't, I can't, I can't believe that she would take the folio <laughs> like mm. that. I think that's stupid. I know yeah. it's like exciting, but I think it's, I mean, a lot of it is like, is she's just like such a manic pixie dream girl and it's not her fault. It's the way that she's written. She's just like, again, like super emotionally available and like ready to flirt and banter, although her dad just died and like definitely endangering the operation at several points because she's like a fiery Mediterranean woman. Um, and she stole the fucking thing. And it, it, I can't believe a scientist would ever do that. I can't believe a scientist would be like, let me let me just take this from an archive. You know, scientists use archives. Probably. Like, um, so yeah, Victoria did not win my heart this time, except for the point where she was like, here are all these gruesome ways someone can kill someone in the Pantheon. <laughs> also, I'm very good at guns. That too. Um, I think my personal demon this time around... I'm sit- drawing this out because I've forgotten who I was going to select. Okay. Um, shit. Oh, I remember. Uh, my demon is Galileo for writing all that boring bullshit. <laughs> uh, I want you to, to just talk about it a little bit more. <laughs> uh, I mean, if there were no Galileo, we wouldn't have had fully like 20 pages of them riffing on Galileo shit in the library. That's right. And uh, I had to read through things about ellipses that i did not care about i had to read through made up shit about the tides that i did not care about and it's also robert langdon's fault for talking about it but it's galileo's fault for writing it or as the case would be not writing it right oh also john milton yeah um fuck you too what the fuck john milton that's an awful poem do better john milton (laughs) um and that's it that's it. This has been the Dan Brown Code. Thanks for joining us this week. Next week, we're going to be doing 61 through 80. Yeah, I think so. Um, and you can find us on Twitter at Dan Brown Code Pod. Yeah. And, and, on, and on Facebook. And on Facebook at the Dan Brown Code Pod, I think. The cover Just, picture for both is a delightful Harris Tweed. Yeah, I, I did that. <laughs> and uh, we're on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes. Um, tell your friends. And we'll see you next time. Have a good one. All right, bye-bye.